Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. In the studio with me today is Matt Gibson, and we're going to be talking about hemodilution. But before we do that, I'd like to give him the opportunity to talk about his work and what brings him to the podcast today. Don, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, This is a subject matter that I really am diving headfirst into peripheral IVs. You know, for a long time, I've been into, you know, the picks and midlines and whatnot. I mean, I've even started training in, in doing some central lines, but PIVs is really where I see that we fall short in so many ways. Um, and I've been working with uh, uh, several different hospitals to try to create a difficult venous access algorithm uh, so that we don't just keep sticking the patient over and over again uh, and integrating a really key component into the practice, uh, whether it be emergency department, you know, the bedside nurses or a vascular access team Hemodilution really is the one of the most resounding, misunderstood uh, principles in vascular access, and we don't apply that principle well. Very good. I am really excited to have this conversation. And for those of you who haven't looked for a while, look up Poussoy's law: pipe within a pipe. And you'll, you'll get exactly what we're talking about. There is a lot of science behind this. So, Matt, let's dig into our topic. How does hemodilution affect infusions and complications? Dilution is the basis. Uh, once you are giving a prescribed therapy, and we know the severity or, or the, the constitution of the infusion, whether it's a vesicant or irritant or if it's a very mild uh, type of infusion, uh, we we need to have appropriate hemodilution. And this is the basis of our device selection. Why do we choose a central line? Because we're giving harmful, harsh medication that's going to damage the, the vein wall uh, or, you know, uh, if, if it infiltrates and it extravasates into the tissue, it can do a lot of damage to the tissue. So choosing the device is based on hemodilution. Uh, you know, of course, we do have a length of, therapy that's also important, but the hemodilution factor, uh, we can give medications that are irritants that, uh, you know, even some vesicants in the oncology are given peripheral. If they have a patent IV with a good brisk blood return, that of the color and consistency of whole blood. And what we are finding is, and what I'm seeing is that we don't really understand the the diameter of the vein as it relates to uh, hemodilution. You know, people are are missing missing that component with traditional peripheral IV. Now it's a little different whenever we're you know we're starting 
lines with ultrasound and we actually measure that vein diameter and we know what the diameter of our catheters are. And for, for those of you that may not really uh, have, have ever really read the fine print of a 20 gauge catheter, the catheter diameter is 1.1 millimeters. And so that gets into what is the pro, you know, the standards of practice talk about choosing the device that best accommodates the vein. But we, we have up until recently, we have not really had any studies or science that say what is the appropriate vein for the catheter diameter. So let's move on from there. I have all kinds of things I want to talk about, but I want to kind of stick with our program because I really want you to have the opportunity to tell us what you're learning. So what are the factors that you're discovering that affect hemodilution? So the, the factors are the diameter of the catheter and the diameter of the vein. And one more factor, the flow rate of the blood. This, yeah. is, how, this is how we, cal- you know, because you, you can have a great big giant vein with a very slow uh, flow and have uh, a, a certain hemodilution. Or you could have a smaller vein that has fast uh, um, blood flow and it has a similar hemodilution factor. And, and that's what we, you know, this is not something as bedside nurses that we really are engaging in this thought process. <laughs> you know, the, the blood, the actual blood flow, and then considering the flow of the infusion. So those four factors, we, we need to know the diameter of the catheter. We need to know the diameter of the vein. We need to know the blood flow rate, which I, I'll get to a project that I'm working on in, in, a, in a minute to, to really help explain that. And then we need to know the, the flow of the infusion. If we have those three pieces of information, we can actually calculate uh, you know, what the hemodilution factor is going to be. It's a simple calculation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's break this down to something really basic for the bedside nurse. The part on the front end where clinicians can get confused. Now, if if we're approaching a peripheral intravenous catheter insertion without vein visualization technology, we are palpating. And usually during that vein selection process, there's a tourniquet involved. And guess what happens to that vessel? It gets really engorged. We've got something that we could hit from the door. We've got something that feels what people call big and juicy. And it's a lie. What we're palpating, what we're feeling is a lie because we all know that an engorged vessel is not always as big as it seems. So let's talk about that. Yes, it, there there is some vein uh, dilatation whenever you apply a tourniquet, uh, you know, and, and for the most part, that's how we we find veins, uh, you know, especially if someone is, has been sick, they may be a little dehydrated, and it's very difficult to find those veins if you do not have a tourniquet. But we can learn, you know, what the ideal vein selection is with palpation because what we see don is yes we've got somebody we have a little bit of dilatation 
and we are palpating. It's nice and big and juicy. But some, t- but those clinicians who don't like those ones that are deeper, that they have to be able to see the vein. Here is where we really get into the trouble because yes, we do have the dil- uh, a little bit of uh, a dilation of the of the vein when we when we put the tourniquet on, but people are not choosing those that we palpate. They're choosing the ones that they can see. And there is no palpitation. You cannot feel those veins, you know, and those are the ones in the volar aspect of the, of the AC, sometimes on the back of the hand, or I mean, uh, the volar aspect of the wrist rather, not the AC, but the, you know, these tiny veins that are these little blue shadows that there's no palpation. You know, this may be a good time to mention, and I wish um, my friend Angelique could be on right now because uh, I I challenged her, uh, and Angelique is a very skilled vascular access clinician. Uh, She's trained in vascular access principle, device selections. They play that her team places short peripheral catheters all the way to Dallas catheters. And so highest, one of the highest functioning teams in the country. And I challenged her. I said, Hey, go out. Uh, they, they also serve as a, as a rapid response team. So they start a lot of lines without, um, without ultrasound. And I said, the next three uh, veins that you're going to sink a 20 gauge in, I want you to, you know, look, send me a picture of that and then palpate it. See if you can feel anything and then put an ultrasound on. Okay, now we're getting a little bit technical here, Don, but the, here is the point. Uh, the point is we're putting too large a vein, a catheters in too small a veins just because we can see them and just because we can. So whenever this, whenever this little challenge that I gave Angelique uh, came around, she sent me images of the vein diameter of 0.9 for one, then that's 0.9 millimeters, 1.1 millimeter, and 1.5 millimeter. Now, for those people who are listening, like I said, you may have never read the package, but the 20 gauge catheter is 1.1 millimeter. So where is the hemodilution for these, these veins? This is what we are sticking across the board in every hospital and, you know, all, all areas of service line with, you know, medicals, ICU, whatnot, what have you. We are sticking these veins that are, some are smaller than the catheter that we're going to place. And some of them are just barely larger, you know? So there is what the question is how much hemodilution are these folks really having when we place just a, a normal 20 gauge in a vein we see but can't feel? Right. So essentially, we're plugging the vessel we're with a catheter. That's exactly right. We plug in the vessel and then we're putting in an infusion that really can't move forward because there is no blood moving in and around past that catheter and carrying the infusion forward. 
So then we start seeing things like phlebitis. We start seeing infiltrations or extravasations if it is that rare condition situation where we're giving something that's pretty tough in the peripheral vein. So for those of you who aren't familiar with hemodilution, please get in the textbooks, look it up, and, and see what, what really has to take place because we have to have forward movement of the blood through the circulation to move that infusion forward, and it's also for the health of the vessel. So, Matt, let's take a little peek over at the standards of practice, and what does the standards of practice say about hemodilution? <laughs> well, it, and it goes back to device selection, you, you know, mm -hmm. and we want to infuse peripherally compatible infusits through peripheral veins. Uh, we want to not infuse non-peripherally compatible through uh, peripheral veins because of the principle of hemodilution. There is not enough buffer in peripheral veins to, to take on uh, the harsh medications, you know, and so that's really, that's really, and, and it goes again, um, we do have one recommendation and it's from a PIC study about catheter to vein ratio. And it's a 40, and, and a lot of people are familiar with this. This is a 45% uh, catheter vein ratio, which means you don't want the catheter taking up more than 45%. Now we've kind of that's kind of uh, rolled downhill, and we've we are starting to apply that to uh, the the peripherals. But however, it's a different vein; it's a different device. Now we have some research from Dr. Amit Ball, uh, Dr. Nick Milky, the Tanabi group over there, and and what we see are in peripherals is we need a vein that's about three times the size of the catheter. So if you're looking at a 20 gauge that's 1.1 you know, millimeter in diameter, you really need about a 3.3 or three to three and a half millimeter vein in order to um, accommodate the hemodilution, which again, going back to the standards, we're choosing the device that best accommodates the vein. And now we're, you know, and I'm hoping that uh, as the, the, the new standards are, are being written, you know, that we have this data, this science, you know, and we have multiple studies that talk about that hemodilution of somewhere around three times the size of the vein or a three to one hemodilution, uh, you know, and that's what we're, what we're the, the literature and the science is starting to, to say, and we're, and we have some studies now, you know, that uh, are, are showing that. So that 45% catheter vein ratio that we've kind of transferred over to the, the peripheral side, I think is not aggressive enough. I, you know, it, from what the literature says currently to, you know, from the standards of practice that choose the vein that best accommodates the catheter we're looking for a vein that's about three times the size uh, of, of a peripheral catheter. How do you determine that? How do you, you know, if you don't have ultrasound that you're measuring the vein, you know, how do you do that? Don, uh, it's, it's through palpation. You know, you, it, it has to be a palp. If we could just do one thing and stop sticking the veins that we cannot palpate, 
we would do amazing things for our patients with these infusions. So I have a prediction that the next chat with Matt is going to be titled Going Deeper. (laughs) (laughs) And going longer, because when we go deeper, we need a longer catheter. (laughs) Yes, yes. So let's talk about, you know, a little bit more on the clinical end. So from a clinical standpoint... What is the current state of device placement as it relates to insertion practice? What do you see out there, Matt? I see many, many clinicians not having the skill to place the device in the appropriate site. I see a lot of decisions being made. Uh, because of throughput, we got to get the patient through. We got to get them out of it, uh, out of the emergency department. We've we've got medication that's late, and so we're making decisions based on our skill uh, about you know site selections that are in the hand, in the areas of flexion, the wrist, uh, the AC, you know the um, all of those. You know, the median cubital vein is a nice, big, juicy vein, but if it's going to be in for over four days, especially three to four days, you're going to have problems. You know, you, you're going to have problems. Now, we're not talking about infusion centers where they're coming in and they're sitting in the chair for two hours so they get their infusion and go home. I think that, the you know, the antecubital fossa is fine for that. They're not eating, they're not, they're not bathing, they're not trying to participate in rehab and, re, you know, in their care. And it is a big, it is a big vein, you know, so we do have good hemodilution in that site. But we need to, we need to avoid those areas of flexion, you know, and, and one of the main reasons is, is because we don't want to depend on that site as our go-to site. Our go-to site should be the middle of that forearm with that cephalic vein and, and you know, even the basilic on the backside of the vein, uh, you know, to, to find that, uh, you know, for these patients uh, that you, that the veins aren't palpable uh, and, and we just have blue shadows that look like a little roadmap, you know, with no mm-hmm. palpation. We do need to get the message out that success isn't the ability to cannulate a vessel. Yeah. Success is the ability to can- cannulate the right vessel with the right cannula for the therapy prescribed. Yeah. And complete the therapy. I, I think if yeah, we, absolutely. you know, I think, uh, you know, and, and we're a long way off from this, Don, but you know what? We're starting to talk about competency is not necessarily, you know, could be defined as, well, I've out of five devices I've placed, four of them have completed therapy. That's true competency, right? I made the right decision to place the appropriate device in the right site uh, with the with the right equipment, you know, and, uh, and, and it, we're a long way from that. But still, you know, it's something that as infusion nurses and vascular access device inserters, it, you know, it's it's something that I, I'm actually talking to two hospitals right now about creating that difficult venous access algorithm so that we give, you know, here's another thing that, that I see. We need to give the nurses permission not to stick the patient. 
we shame our nurses, Don. We yeah. shame our nurses. Yeah. You know, the 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 experienced nurses and the vascular access team, and you'll hear them on the phone go. Did you even look at that? You got. You need to go in there and you need to stick that patient twice. You need to <laughs> learn. Now, Don, you're new and you're not going to learn unless you go in there and you stick the patient. You stick them twice. If you don't get it, you come get me. Now, what is really wrong with that? You know, <laughs> where are they getting their training just, from? Just about everything. Yes. You know? And, you know, from the team, I think they're, they're focused on you know, the utilization of resources for themselves and the ability to stay afloat. There's there's so many things that come into play there that we could tease out a whole lot of things to to solve. But at the at the base of it all is this patient who's getting poked <laughs> um, by someone who is not confident, who isn't skilled, and they have to undergo at least two pokes, as you just said, and I'm using your language there, um, so two cannulation attempts before the the team might come, and I think I've told you this before. I might we might have had this in our last chat with Matt, but the vascular access team that I've worked with, they told the story about they went into a patient's room and there were a few pieces of gauze taped a few spots on the on the arm of the patient, uh, took those off, and the patient said they never attempted cannulation. They just put this gauze tape <laughs> on there <laughs> to to make it look as though they had tried because they needed the team to come and do that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, you know, th think about the messaging there. You know, what what's really going on? Mm. And, the, and again, it's the patient that's most important there. And and um, that's what we're what we're looking at. Agreed. And, and I think that that action, you know, you know, it's a manipulation of of the system, you know, taping gauze on a patient to make them look like. And you know what it comes across? Well, that nurse is just lazy. That nurse is just, yeah, you know, they're just trying to get out of work. But you know what? It really is about the nurses not having the proper training, not having the proper skill and mentoring you know, if I miss a site, if I stick twice and I miss, I want the next person that comes to show me how to be successful. You know, I, I, but here I've got five other patients that I've got to get to and I don't have time to learn. And people, um, you know, end up depending on other people who have higher skill that's had more training. You know, so I, I think that's, that is well documented in in the literature about the the fact that you know they don't get you know the check off that we receive receive in school on this rubber arm that's got five hundred needle sticks in it, and we successfully place uh, a device on a rubber arm is certainly no indication of what true competency is. Well, we we could talk all day about. Most of the, the trail that we're going down, but let's bring ourselves back to hemodilution. Yes. Because I want to talk about the here and now and what measures can be taken right now to improve successful completion of therapy and decrease the failure and complications for peripheral vascular access devices. We have to observe the standards of practice. And what I see it is, especially a lot of the infusion and vascular access teams 
they've read the standards. They know the standards, but they don't apply them. When it comes down to it and they're busy, they're going to, cha- they're going to choose a wrist vein. They're going to choose uh, you know, a little spider vein that they can see but can't feel. Uh, instead of, you know, and, and I experienced this whenever uh, in the last real job, so to speak, that I had and worked on a team in a hospital full time. Uh, this was this was the a thing that happened. You know, I would assess the patient. I would I would see a little spider vein. I'd see a, a, a little tiny vein up in the shoulder that had no palpation and uh I would call and, and I would say, listen, we, you know, uh, at the time there was an ultrasound program and they were trying to train people on ultrasound and they wanted these opportunities. Well, they would come and they would make a bad choice and put it in a hand, in a wrist, in a shoulder, in the bowler aspect of the wrist. And I said, I could have done that myself. I'm calling you to, you know, to, uh, to choose a better site and, you know, use the, use the ultrasound because you guys are training and this is what you're doing. Uh, you know, this is what you're trying to do. So we need to observe instead of just paying lip service to the standards, we need to make that choice to avoid those areas of flexion. And that simple stance is when I started moving more from traditional insertions to ultrasound-guided pr- procedures. When I committed to avoiding those areas of flexion, if that's the one thing that we w- could do is just simply avoid areas of flexion. And then the second thing is to uh, f- uh, choose the vein that has palpation, uh, you know, if we if we are able to palpate the vein, you know, make that choice to stick uh, the vein that has has palpation, we are going to automatically. We don't know to what degree, but we will automatically increase our hemal dilution. We don't have to know what the calculations are, but we know if we have two veins, one that's deep, we can't see that is, that we can feel, and one that we can see but that is shallow and can't, and, and, and can't feel, but we can see, uh, we need to make that choice to stick the deeper vein that we can't see. Yep. How should we close our conversation here today, Matt? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, I, how I want to close this, Don, is I want to call people out and say, you know, if you're familiar with the standards of practice, are you truly following those recommendations and those standards of practice? Or, uh, or do, you, do you slide into old habits? Are you avoiding those areas of flexion and make the effort to place the device, whether it's you or someone else, to place that device in the most appropriate, the optimal location, site, vein, and using the, the, the optimal uh, catheter to cannulate that vessel. 
and and I I want to call people out and say, take you know, don't just fall back into our old habits of you know this is the way it's always been. This is the this is I I'm the best at seeing the vein. Uh, I'm not the best at sticking a vein that is deeper and I can only feel. So find a partner and that has that ability and has those, those skills and, and challenge yourself to observe and maintain those standards of practice about choosing the vessel that best accommodates the catheter. Okay, good. Well said. It's always a pleasure sitting down and having a visit with you. Uh, you bring forth some provoking thoughts. We could talk forever, I know, but we have uh, the need to wrap things up and get on with our day. The next time we talk, let's talk about how to get this information to bedside clinicians who aren't truly in vascular access or infusion therapy, but they perform this skill. We need to get them informed, and let's think about creative ways to do that. Absolutely, Don. That's that. I think that uh, maybe next year that'll be you know the top of of our next podcast because I really re that's how we're going to affect patient care on a large scale. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for visiting with me again today, and I wish you well. Yes, ma'am. Practice safely. Thank you so much. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening. <music>